Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. Man, come on, can we just give it up one more time for what God did in the room? So cool. You know, we just, sometimes we just got to get out of our own way, you know? It's all good. It's all good. Um, hey, do me a favor. Before we move on with the rest of today, I'm excited. I'm, I, I was pretty much preaching already in worship, so I don't know what's going to happen. We're going to go for it. Um, but can we just give it up for everyone watching online today? Come on. Let's give it up for our online campus, our online experience. Thank you guys for watching online. And, and if you have your phone right now, come on, take out your phone, take out Facebook, take out Instagram just right now. Don't do it for the rest of the service. Just right now. And go ahead and share online. You can go to our Facebook and just share this right now. If you're on the team, if you're on staff, go ahead and share it because you never know who's watching. Come on. And I believe today that God is speaking, right? He always is. When we gather together, we're just a little bit more attentive. That's all. And, and I don't know who's watching, but best believe that someone might be watching and you never know what one share and one invite can do. Yeah. yeah? Amen. Awesome. And so go ahead and share that right now if you can. That would be great. And this is what we're going to do. We're just going to jump right in. I'm excited to share. I feel like I got some things that the Lord really wants to speak on, wants to really help us with in some ways. And so let's stand to our feet in the room. Come on, let's stand to our feet this morning. All right. And we're going to go ahead and go to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Book of Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 6 through 11. 6 through 11. And we're continuing our series through the book of Philippians. Each week we've been going through a different part of the book. And uh, it's been powerful. And, and this week in particular, um, I, 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 I love every passage, man. I really do. But uh, if there's any passage that has so much depth and, and, and mystery to it, it's, it's this passage. And we're going to walk through it. So I'm very excited to do that. So let's go ahead. We're going to read it on the screen. Or if you have your Bibles, let's go for it. Um, who though... Jesus, or Paul is talking about Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Everybody say humbled. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9. Therefore, God has ex highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Good stuff. It's a good one. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for what you're doing in this house. God, I thank you for the miracles that are taking place already, even now. I pray your spirit would continue to be released in this room. We would welcome you. God, I pray I would get out of the way. And that, Jesus, you would say what you would want to say in this room to your people. So we give it to you. We're excited for what you're doing. We love you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 Go ahead and have a seat. Man. Sorry, I uh, just, I just, I just, uh, I just love that Holy Spirit still moves today. I really do. I, it's, 
It's one of the best parts of following Jesus is that God's still real and he's alive. Really is. And I think about just even this morning, what first service happened and then the breakthrough that was taking place and then now worship. And I was telling someone recently this, that I, I, I drive home, like all of us, we drive home after church. Uh, but but I, I, I'll, I'll talk to God and I'll be like, man, I can't believe I get to do this for a living. I get to experience you move in people's lives and that you would trust me. And so I, I just sense this immense gratitude and gratefulness, not just to Jesus, but to the people of this house and to this room, that we would be a people that would allow Holy Spirit to move in our lives. Come on. And I want to continue to believe that. Um, so today, I'm just, I'm just, man, my heart's just so stirred up right now. So I'm going to do my very best. This is the service we do online, so this is not good. Because normally online service needs to be good because they record you. But we're going to work it out. All right. I want to start the conversation with this. We're going to go into some things in this passage uh, in a moment that I think will really be practical for us. But we have to first acknowledge the main fact of the text, which is this, is that you, you have this person who is Jesus and Paul describes him. And I want to tell you that for those in the room or watching online, there is no one like Jesus. There's no one. And why, why do I say that? Because it's true. If you, if you know him and you love him, there's no one on the earth like him. And, and this, this, this typical passage, this is a very popular passage in Scripture, especially in the book of Philippians where, you know, there's other passages in Philippians as well that are very popular. Uh, but this one's pretty well known, right? I think everyone who's grown up in church has heard the evangelist come into town and say, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And everyone in the room's like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think we've all experienced that. And, and, I, and I think that's valid. I, I'm not knocking it. Uh, but I think there's some other depth to this passage as well. And, and what we have to understand is when I make a statement that there's no one like Jesus, it's because I firmly believe this with my whole heart. Because there is no one that has done what Jesus has done for you and I. And oftentimes I think the reason why we get complacent or apathetic in our walk talking to the Christians in the room, the ones who say that they would go to church and they love God, we, we can get apathetic and we can get into a place where we're complacent is because we forget about what God has actually really done for us. We forget about what Jesus actually did. Paul uses this passage. It's actually, most scholars believe it's written in a hymnal format, meaning like a song of worship, to describe the beauty of the gospel through the humiliation of Jesus. I want you to understand something that's very important, is that when Christ came to the earth, he did not come to the earth in power, but he came to the earth in humility. He's the only God in the universe that came down not to be worshiped, but to serve humanity. No other God did that. They went through things so that way they could be idolized and they could be worshiped, but Jesus said no. You have to understand, in the beginning of time, you have the Father, you have the Son, you have the Holy Spirit. The Trinity are in existence before the creation of the earth. That's what the Bible says. And one day they have a meeting and they said, hey, we're going to make these people and they're going to be called humans. And they're going to look like us. And they're going to sound like us. And we're going we're to we're create this place called Eden where they're going to have just access to us. They're going to have all this cool stuff. They're going to have this great food. They're going to have T-Rexes. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> and this is what we're going to do. We're going to put a tree in that place 
They can have access to everything else except for that tree. And the reason why we're gonna put the tree there is because we wanna make sure that they, these humans love us, not because they have to, but because they want to. Because choice produces great love and affection. Right? God does not control our lives or manipulate us, but he allows us to choose him. And then I imagine, right, since the beginning of time, the Bible says that the Trinity was in existence. And I can imagine that God's like, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to create Eden. The Father's like, we're going to do all this. It's going to be great. And we're going to create humans. And then check this out, guys. They're going to mess up. They're going to mess up. They're going to do us wrong. They're going to hurt us. And so what's the plan to restore them back to us? And Jesus, right? It's the Father, it's the Son, it's the Holy Spirit. They're all talking, hanging out in perfect union, in perfect humility. And Jesus says, I'll do it. One day I will go to the earth and I will sacrifice myself, not so that way they can know we're God, but so that way they can have a relationship with the God that created them. Paul describes this. That though Jesus was in the form of God, meaning that he was Jesus, he did not consider it a thing to be grasped, meaning that it was a thing to overlord over us, but decided to, in humility, empty himself, becoming in the likeness of man. And theologists and theologians would describe this as a fancy term that's called hypostatic union, meaning that God, in his essence, decides to be formed in the likeness of man and the likeness of God. So therefore, when Jesus was on the earth, he is completely God and completely man at the same time. Because only the God of the universe can pay the debt that God would require. And when he did that, it was not a thing that he would boast in, the Bible says, Philippians 2 says. It would actually is a thing that is humiliating to Jesus. Imagine Jesus is in heaven from the beginning of time. Jesus has worship from angels forever, 24-7, worship unto God, worship unto Jesus, the saints worshiping Jesus. And Jesus says, I will leave all that so that way I can go to earth and I can be close to the people that I created so that one day those people can be close to me. And imagine the audacity that God has, how much he loves us that he would let himself die and be killed by the people that he actually created. The very thing that God created, the very creation, the very thing that his intention in his heart was for them to know him were the ones who killed him. But he understood that he had to let that happen so that way our humiliation and sin can be covered by the humiliation of the cross and the blood of Jesus. And why am I describing this? Because you and I can get to a place of apathy and understanding or complacency because we forget exactly what Jesus has done. Paul is saying, listen, the reason why Jesus' name is above every other name is not just because he's God and it's not just because he's special and it's not just because he's holy, but because he is the God of the universe that decided to come down in the likeness of man. Do you understand this, family, that Jesus for eternity is gonna look like us because he had to die for us? He could have looked like anything else, but he decided to take on the form of man. Why? Because man needed a savior. So he said, I'll look like them and I'll sound like them and I'll speak like them and I'll go through what they went through and I'll die like them, but I will rise again 
and through that sacrifice and that resurrection, then they'll be one with me. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That if you always under, if you never understood what the gospel was, it was that Christ was humiliated in innocence because of our humiliation that we caused in our own sin, that we humiliated ourselves. And he did not allow us, he did not force us to stay in that humiliation. But now what Ephesians says is that the wall of hostility has been torn. Therefore, there is no separation between us and Christ for those who would want the love of Jesus in their life. And we began to understand, wow, Jesus, you did that for me? You humbled yourself for me. You fasted heaven for 33 years. Jesus fasted heaven. Like, you know how you fast sometimes? Anybody like terrible at it? Some of y'all, you fast coffee and you can't make it three days. Jesus fasted 33 years, his comfort that he was supposed to be in because he's God. So that way he can be with us. Fasted heaven took on the form of man, became both God and man at the same time, was born like a man, was raised like a man, was tempted like in sin like a man, chose to follow God like a man, and in his humanity and his divinity, was humiliated by the creation that created him, was spit at and cursed at and mocked at and lied to. And I, and I think this point is very important because most people in today's society question the existence of God because bad things happen to good people. But in all actuality, that's exactly what happened to Jesus. If there's anyone that would experience bad things happening to good people, it's Jesus on the earth. He did not deserve to die. He was not supposed to die out of his own, his own actions. But he died because Bad people did something to a good man, but bigger than that, he understood that by his death and by his sacrifice, us men who were bad in our essence and our character can one day become transformed in the likeness of him. And he didn't come to Lord. <laughs> he didn't come so that way we can make a bunch of Jesus idols he didn't take on this cross so that way we can wear Christian necklaces and cheapen the cross. And, and this is what will begin to happen in our walk is we will cheapen the sacrifice of what Jesus did. And when you begin to cheapen what Jesus did, then you begin to lose love and affection for God. Let me use this as an example in a, in a very just practical sense. So, so my, I was adopted. I, I was adopted by my, my, my Nina and my grandma, and they might be watching online, which is really cool. Um, they go to their church, and then they watch our line on my church, which is kind of awesome. Yeah, it's kind of fun. And then I always tell them, was I a better preacher than their church? And, you know, we, like I compete and stuff. And, and they always tell me yes because they love me, but I know it's not true because they have an amazing pastor out there. <laughs> and um, so I was adopted. Um, from the age of 8 to about the age of 13, 12, 13, I lived with my aunt, or my Nina, and my aunt, and my grandma, um, they're the reasons why I didn't become part of the system, and I thank God for them, um, and then ever since I was little, off and on in my life, they've took care of me, I've, I've spent years with them, um, making sure, or they making sure that I was okay, and my brothers were okay, and so when, when I was 19, um, my, my Nina, my aunt, 
actually got breast cancer. And uh, she hid it from me, like I think good parents try to do. And she just called me one day and she said, hey, Chris, I have breast cancer. I don't, I don't, I don't think I told you. You don't know this. Uh, but um, I'm going to do surgery in a few weeks. And I just want you to know that this is what's going on. And I know you're busy. And just pray for me. And I was like, pray for you? Yeah, right. Like, I'm going to go down there and be with you. You know what I'm talking about? Like, anybody, and that's just the sincerity of my Nina. She's like, just pray for me. I was like, I'm not just going to pray for you. I called Vanessa. And I was like, hey, Vanessa, my, my Nina, has breast can- Nina, Nina has breast cancer. And um, I'm moving down to L.A. for a month until she's good. And Vanessa's like, go for it. Side note, single people, find a spouse that will help you pursue your calling with God and make you do the right thing. Okay? Because I know you think she looks cute, but she won't forever. I'm just saying it, it can go away. I hope it doesn't, but it can. I'm just saying. I was engaged to Vanessa at the time, and I knew I, knew I was going to marry her because moments like that where she said, Chris, go handle your business. Go do what God called you to do. Find you a spouse that allows you to pursue the call of God and Jesus higher and elevates you, doesn't cap you. Okay? So I go down to L.A. I know that's good. That's for someone. Everybody in the row is looking at single people. Like, where are you at? Shoot, I should have brought my cousin. He needs to break up with that chick. <laughs> Some of y'all, you're like, I wasn't going to share the, I wasn't going to share the message now, but I'm going to tag them on Facebook and be like, you need to watch from 1120 to 1122 when Pastor Chris talked about you needing to be single. <laughs> so, so I go down to LA and, um, and I was just talking with a friend about this when they asked me, man, was that like the hardest season? Was that a hard season of your life? And, and yeah, it was a little difficult. Luckily, my Nina, praise God, everything went good. The surgery went great. She's completely healthy. She's in remission. She's cancer free. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, she was, she was younger. She was like in her early forties, mid forties. So that was really tough. Um, and they asked me if that was a hard season. And what I told them was, is actually, no, it was one of the best seasons of my life. Because my job was I just stayed at the house and I, I cooked and I cleaned and I did the grocery runs and I ate out all the time. Come on, thank you, Jesus. And, uh, and right, like I just, I, just, I just sacrificed. And rightfully so. And as I began to sacrifice for them, sacrifice for my Nina, I began to understand what they actually sacrificed for me. And I never fell in love with my Nina more than after that season. And even a few months later, I got, so that was August of 2013. I came on staff at Thrive in October of 2013. And then June of 2014, me and my wife get married. And um, don't look online. You can if you want. But if you try to find my married picture or wedding pictures, they're really intense. I was like crying really bad. They thought I was going to fall out. Like, I, I know you're like, oh, that's cute. No, like, it was scary. Like, they're really bad. They're really, really intense. And me and my wife were dating for a long time. We got engaged at 19. Single people, I don't recommend that either because y'all maybe don't love Jesus like how we do. I'm just being honest, okay? 
So don't get any crazy ideas. You got to get a job first. I'm just saying. All right. So, so we get married at 2021, and um, actually a lot of people, uh, I, I, of course, like I was crying for my wife. But actually right before my wife walked down the aisle, my, my Nina walked down the aisle. And I just start breaking. Like that's what broke me. Like I was trying. I was like. And then it just, you know, the moment where you just can't hold it no more. That's what happened. Uh, because I, she might have not been able to be there. And I realized that, um, sorry, this didn't happen for service. Um, I realized I wouldn't have been on this stage without the sacrifice that she made. And so I started breaking out of just this immense affection and love for my Nina. And I use that example because when we don't understand what Jesus has done for us, we can lose affection and lose pursuit and lose the grace to surrender because we think we got there ourselves. I am on the stage in this room right now, not because I'm special, but because God did something that saved my life. And Paul says this, that it was in humility that Christ died for us, that Christ died for us. And so why do I say there's no one like Jesus? Because there's no one else that will ever love you and do for you what he did. No one, no one ever. And so then we have to respond in the way Christ has responded. The only appropriate response for an individual who comes into the knowledge of God, who comes into the revelation of Jesus Christ, that comes into the understanding of who God is and what he's done for you, is you have to reciprocate what he's done for you. It's the only logical explanation. Two equals two, right? Two doesn't equal three, two doesn't equal four, although Common Core, and they're trying to change all sorts of stuff. My kid just started kindergarten. I'm like, oh, Nessa, you got it. And he's homeschooled, so pray for us, okay? <laughs> two equals two. So if God, in his authority, in his divinity, in his humanity, in his all power, and in, in all of who he is, surrendered himself to the point of death and the cross so that he can have a relationship with us, then God would require the same response of people who he's won their hearts. And so God will never ask you to do something he hasn't done. He's not a hypocrite. The Bible says he's not a man that he would lie. So for example, all of you have heard the verse where God says, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why? Because God has loved you with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so therefore, he is not asking you to do something that is impossible. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's hard, but it's not impossible. Because if God did it in his humanity, God now has empowered you and the Holy Spirit to do in yours as well. And so Jesus requires surrender. And that's what Paul is saying, that because Jesus did everything that he did, he now has the name above every other name, meaning that every person in humanity, everything in humanity, every circumstance in humanity, and in the universe, everything we might know or see, will have to one day bow at the name of Jesus. Because God did what he did, because Jesus did what he did on the earth. Everything now falls under the authority of Christ. Everything, whether we like it or not. And so it is in the necessity of the response of someone who says they love God and they're a Christian and they want to be a believer and a follower and a disciple to allow ourselves to surrender in humility the same way that Jesus surrendered. 
And it is then and only then that we experience the fullness of God. We do not experience the fullness of God in our power. We experience the fullness of God in our surrender. That's, that's a word and a half for someone. And so let's walk through this. Let me just give you what I would call the process of surrender. And I want to help some people in the room a little bit. And so this is just a kind of a chart on what I kind of explained in my mind and kind of how processing in my heart. So everyone starts off as someone that's lost, right? We encounter Jesus. And then the goal is that we would become disciples. That's the biblical definition of someone who is following God, who is affectionate to God. That's the biblical definition. That's the word Jesus used. More than son and daughter, more than whatever, it's actually the word disciple. That the church is made up of saints that are disciples of Jesus Christ. So that's why I use the word disciple. Here's the deal. Let me just break it down. Number one, I don't know if you know this, but everyone's lost until they discover Jesus. Okay? You might be in this room and you might be lost and that's okay. I'm so glad you're here. Because I believe that God wants to do something in your life. What does it mean to be lost? It means you don't know God. You're living in sin. You're living a life of sin. You have not experienced the love and grace and mercy of God. You've not accepted him in your heart. Your life seems cloudy. You've got a hole in your heart that you seem to can't, you can't fill it unless only Jesus can fill it. So you're trying to fill it with other things, right? Everyone who knows Jesus knows what it was like without him. That's lost. And we live in a day and age where people are wanting to not identify themselves as being lost because it forces them to need a savior. But can I tell you that the only way you can heal something is you gotta get the diagnosis first. And so we have to understand that everyone, because of the first Adam and his sin, because he ate in the garden, because he ate that fruit, like we were talking about earlier, is now born into lostness, is born into sin. However, because of the second Adam, which is Jesus, who did not eat of that fruit, right, when he was tempted in the desert and did not fall into sin, now we can come into the righteousness of Christ, and now we can have a, re a relationship with God, with the God of the universe, because he did not do what the first Adam did. And so which leads to step two. We got lost people. That's awesome. That's cool. Not awesome in the sense I want them to stay there, but awesome like, hey, it is what it is. Let's just keep it real. But we also believe that God moves today. God, in his heart and in his will, I firmly believe this, desires for people to encounter and experience him. And if you're going to come to Thrive and you're going to make this your home church, I want you to know, we will unapologetically believe in the encounter of God and the Holy Spirit in this place. Unapologetically. Why? Because we need it. California, guys, we all live here, is bad. You know it's bad when CNN and Fox talk about how bad it is. Both sides of the aisle talking about how bad it is. We need God to intervene. We live in such a time today where the only way that things are gonna get better is that it needs a divine intervention from the Spirit of God to come in and heal and change and transform people's hearts. I wanna explain this very clearly. We believe, and I am firmly convinced of this, that God wants to encounter people with his love and with his power. 
And I believe today that God still does it. He still heals the sick. He still raises the dead. He still casts out demons. He still heals marriages. He still brings prodigals homes. He still transforms minds. He still heals hearts. I believe that God is defining this right now because we will be a place and a people that would allow the spirit and the power of God to encounter individuals who are lost. They do not need Dr. Phil, Oprah Winfrey, self-help, gospel Christianity. What people need in a world that are lost and are broken, that are blinded by the day of this age, is an encounter with Jesus that would transform them forever. And from that day on, everything changes. We need him. I just, I, I'm a... I'm just a revival guy in my heart. Like I, I believe cities can still be one. I believe the gospel still works. I believe the book of Acts was not a fairy tale, but the manual on how to live a normal Christian life. I believe that Jesus still moves. I believe the Holy Ghost is real and alive and we need him. And I believe with all my heart that God has called people to encounter him. So we're gonna encounter him. We're gonna believe it. But, but now let me talk to the Christians in the room. Okay. I got all hyped up. Okay. Let me, let me bring it down. Let me bring it down. <sighs> Help me. I got one more service. Help me. Okay. Here's where you get stuck. The assumption is, is that you and I, or maybe people we know, believe that just because they've had an encounter automatically makes them a disciple. And that's not true. And listen, I am about encounter. I just preached for like five minutes on it. However, God is not interested in having moments with us. He's interested in having a lifestyle with us. Jesus did not die so he can date you. That's what we do. We use the crucifixion and we put him in our little calendar once a month so we can spend a little bit of time with him to, to let ourselves feel a little better and get a little goosebumps and a little butterflies. And God's like, no, I'm not interested in just spending a little time with you. I'm interested in having all of you. And the only way you and I become disciples, which is in the heart of God for us to do, is we have to understand the concept of lordship. This is where we get stuck in discipleship. So we get stuck. Discipleship is the goal, right? Discipleship is where all the good stuff happens, right? The, the peace of God, the grace of God, the surrender of God, the mercy of God, the, the blessing of God, right? Because our heart is so open to him. And this is what we've done in American Christianity. We want all the good stuff, but we don't want to require any sacrifice of ourselves. And God says, listen, I love you. I care for you. I'm grateful for you. But if you really want me in your life, I'm not just going to be the one that healed you. I'm not just going to be Savior. I need to be Lord as well. And we got a lot of people stuck in Lordship. They can't get past it. And because they can't get past it, they get stuck Here's what happens. You are forced to move from encounter to encounter to sustain you. And what you have done is you've developed a Christianity that is moment-based, that is on a spiritual high versus a lifestyle of complete submission and surrender to the Holy Spirit. And so unless you feel God, or unless God does something you want, you go back to your lostness, you go backwards until you realize you're a prodigal and you need to come back home. 
And the reason why is because you're stuck between encounter and lordship. You want to be a disciple, but you want to live a disciple lifestyle, but we aren't living a disciple lifestyle because we aren't letting God be the Lord of our life. And what does lordship mean? It's the biblical definition of surrender and God being the main thing in your heart. Listen, everyone, and in Hebraic theology, it talks about how the heart is the throne of your life meaning it's the thing that is the center and it has all power and all authority. And the truth is, is a lot of us have other things than Jesus on that throne. And can I tell you this, that Jesus will not share his throne with anyone. The last person that tried to do that was Satan and look what happened. It was no contest. God will not share. So God, check this out, will allow you to put things on the throne of your heart and just kind of chill and wait until you take them off because he's not gonna share his authority. He's not. And he'll let you spiral, and he'll let you be in your mess until you take yourself, your sin, your shame, your past experience, your hurt, whatever you need to do, take it off the throne of your heart and say, Jesus, you're Lord of my life. Jesus requires lordship, which requires a life of surrender. And so let me just give you some practicals on how we surrender. Number one, and I'm gonna close in just a minute. Number one is, is your heart, does your heart have the posture of submission? Listen, and as grown people, we don't wanna hear this. I've said this before, you don't wanna hear this because you, you don't want anyone to tell you what to do. Listen, super unbiblical, super unbiblical. You need to allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life. It's not good enough to just have a moment with God and encounter him. There's so much more. And how that comes is by submission. What do I mean by heart posture? Does your heart look like this? Does your heart look like you're kneeling before the Lord? Right? This is just a symbolic act. I'm not saying you have to kneel every day and pray. That's not what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. When God looks at your heart, is the position and the posture of your heart proud and puffed up, sitting at a chair of authority? Or is it in the place of humility like Jesus, bowing your knee in a posture of receiving and submission and saying, Jesus, it's not my will, but your will. Here's the truth. No one can tell that except for you. No one. You can jump up and down and worship all you want and your posture still is lacking a heart of submission. You can be super spiritual, you can serve on the dream team, and your heart still is lacking submission. Why? Because God only measures the heart. You are the only one that really knows, is, is your heart in a position of submission to the Lord? First step of lordship, what's your heart position? Number two, what's your heart's confession? Right, it says every knee will bow, every tongue confess. Meaning, does your heart talk about God? Right, the Bible says that the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What do you talk about with your life? legitimately ask that question. Now, I'm not saying you have to talk about Jesus 24-7. Nobody wants that like super-duper Christian in their life. You know what I'm talking about? They get a little annoying where there's like no humanity. Listen, we're still humans. You can talk about the Raiders or the Niners or whatever. They both end up losing all the time, but it is what it is. I'm just saying, it's true. <laughs> so it's okay. But when's the last time you talked about Jesus? When's the last time you talked to Jesus? When's the last time out of the abundance of your heart, you were just like, man, I love you. I love you, God. I remember hearing a pastor one time talking about his lead pastor, and he was praying about leaving his church. 
And one day they were preaching at a church conference and uh, they were sharing a room. And the pastor, the lead pastor was just sleeping. The other guy was awake, still reading or something. And he heard his lead pastor in his sleep say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, there's no one like you. Jesus, I love you with all my heart. This dude was sleep talking about Jesus. How, how, guys, how much does this guy talk about Jesus in real life that his sleep talk was about him? Do you confess? And, and sometimes, listen, you gotta talk yourself into the truth. I tell this all the oftentimes with young people, especially people who are struggling with forgiveness, when they're like, how do I forgive my dad? Say you forgive him. But what if I don't mean it? Just keep saying it. Say it every day. I forgive him. I don't feel it. That's okay. You're not gonna feel it again tomorrow. Just keep saying it. Why? Because eventually, eventually your heart will align with what God is doing. Do you confess Jesus? Do you confess? Does your mouth speak of him? And then lastly, does your heart have the attitude? Is your heart, is the heart's attitude in humility? Are you in arrogance? Are you in pride? You gotta let that go. What is your attitude toward Jesus and toward lordship? Really, this concept, what is your attitude towards, towards surrender? Because listen, God is gonna raise up sons and daughters, not spoiled brats. He will let you throw a fit until you get over it and then be like, are you done? Right, anybody? Your kids? They want like whatever they want at Target. And they always put like the good candy right before you, you know what I'm saying? Right before you're at the register. And I'll, I'll, I've, I've told Zadok, I will leave you here. You will get adopted by another family if you throw a fit. I'll leave you. It's not okay. We, if it's not okay for our kids to throw fits, why on earth do you think it's okay for you to throw one? And God's just like, all right, go ahead. Go ahead and be all mad and bitter and hate the church and blame everyone. It's still your fault. You lack humility. What's... But, but, but the heart posture is, God, I want to be humble. I want to be like you. I want to be like you. So here's my question for us in the room, and we're going to let you go. Is what part of your life has not bowed? Come on. What part of your life has not bowed? Your singleness, your marriage, your sin, your addiction, your emotions, your job, right? Your family. You haven't given it to Jesus. You haven't surrendered it. You haven't let it down. I'm not saying all those things are necessarily bad. But when they aren't with Jesus being on the throne of your heart, they become idols. And God is not okay with us worshiping other things other than him. What part of your life, what part of my life, what part of our life has not bowed to the lordship and the authority of Jesus? Stand your feet with me. Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.